Welcome, one and all, to the Film Harmonic with your hosts, Noah East and Andy Ferguson. We are so very glad you decided to join us as we discuss and dissect films both current and bygone. You can find the Film Harmonic podcast on Apple Podcasts, where we encourage you to leave us a review and a pleasant rating, and on Spotify, Google Play, Amazon Alexa, and Buzzsprout. And you can send review requests for the Throwback Challenge to the Film Harmonic at gmail.com. In episode 18, the box office juggernaut of the week is Stephen King's sequel, It Chapter 2, starring James McAvoy and Philharmonic favorites Jessica Chastain and Bill Hader. And in our Pick 6 segment, we are ranking the six best threequels, meaning films that are the third installment in a particular franchise or trilogy. Leading us into the throwback challenge to close out the show, in which listener Brandon Brown commissioned us with a couple of 80s cult hits with music-centric twists to them. Andy will break down 1983's Flashdance, and I will do the same with 1985's The Last Dragon. So, Andy, you ready to crack the top off of this bad boy or what? Let's send in the clowns. (laughs) All right. did not have that planned. Oh, that was great. That was great. We kick off this week's show with a follow-up to last fall's box office, Behemoth. And this time around, the money appears to be flowing at a similar rate. But are the reviews lining up the same? That's the question. We have the answers. We're diving into It Chapter 2. It Chapter 2. So, you just got back from seeing It Chapter 2, just like an hour ago. Literally just got back, yes, from a morning showing on a Sunday, and it was sold out. That's pretty crazy that it was sold out at 10.45 in the morning on a Sunday. Right, yeah. People are supposed to be in church. I thought that would have been safe, but no. Yeah, (laughs) apparently not. No, Stephen King is some people's church, apparently. Yeah, I mean, well, and it's, this is, Stephen King is a big draw just period still, even, even despite... The fact that it's almost 2020, and he, this is still is, and this is among his most heralded source material. You know? Yeah, it's been well. I mean, people have been talking about this for decades now. Yeah. I mean, there's already been one movie in the early 90s, and now the with the success of the first chapter, with almost no star power at all. Yeah, I mean, especially the last film had no. The biggest star in the last film was the kid from Stranger Things, whose name I don't even know. Right, yeah, you know, because he had just come off of the success of that show, yeah. and then in this one, you know, you you get a couple of big stars: J- big. James McAvoy, Jessica Chastain, Bill Hader. You could even make the case that Skarsgård himself is kind of becoming a star just from that Hulu show Castle Rock, and then this, obviously. Yes, I mean he's his name is well known now. He's he's moving up the ranks of the the Skarsgård rankings, <laughs> right? As, uh, the fame rankings right. for that family. Stellan's always been like level in the middle but yeah you know alexander was up he might still be a little ahead but bill's peter's been doing good job as well (laughs) yeah right (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah this was um this is definitely tearing up the box office at the moment i think it got 91 million on its opening night yeah not surprising not surprising um you know what is surprising to me what how absolutely terrible i thought it was um i I'm blown away by how bad I thought this was. I, so you know, we hadn't, we were not doing the show when the first one came out. True. So, and we I liked and the first one. We haven't talked about the first one at all on the show yet. No, we've not. I like you and it. I disagree on the first one. That is correct. I think the first one is terrible. I think it's really bad. I think it's very repetitious with its scare tactics. I think it's almost the same scene over and over again, and it's overly long. Yeah. Um, See, I liked it. And I didn't have any of those same problems that you had with it. 
I thought that the scares were pretty genuine, at least for the first half of that movie. Um, and this one, I have the same problem that you seem to have with the first one, where mm. everything is so repetitive and it's just so poorly paced, where it's it's set piece after set piece yeah. after set piece. And none of them seem to actually cohese into a larger framework that would actually make a narrative to a story. It's just individual set pieces with different actors. And yeah. they're it's just it's terribly paced, terribly directed. I didn't even think the acting is good. James McAvoy's pretty bad. Jessica Chastain's the best part, and even she's not very good in it. Even Bill Hader isn't good in this. Um, as I, much fun as he is. I hate this movie. This movie is terrible. So, I mean, you probably thought I, were, I was going to. I thought you might hate it, um, mm. especially since you dislike the first one so much. Yeah, I yeah, was wondering well, if you hate it as much as I do. And it sounds like you do. Um, I think Bill Hader is very good in this movie. Really? I do, yes. I think he is a nice diversion from what is going on in the rest of the movie. For the most part. For Although, the most part. in the last half an hour, his one-liners get a little grating. When, when everything's, like, super, 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 like, doom serious, and he's still... And we haven't even gotten into his counterpart, Ed, who is atrocious in this movie. Yeah. Really bad. Yeah. Not funny at all. He's got even worse one-liners than Bill Hader does. And I think that's the problem. It's the dialogue is the problem with this movie. The the the, the lines that the actors had to read, had to work from, were Some terrible. bad stuff. And I don't think I've mentioned this yet on this show. You know how much I dislike James McAvoy. Yes, we've, ta- we've talked for years and years that we don't think James McAvoy is leading man quality. No, and if they never if they would stop pushing him towards leading man, I don't have a problem with him. He's you know, a fine actor. He, he's okay. He's well, fine enough. Until they... Tell you to stutter. Oof. James McAvoy trying to stutter Oof. is one of the most excruciating things to watch. You know, the, the kid, kid is, way is better, better than it. him. Yes, exactly. The exactly. kid is better at the stuttering than he is. He really is. You're absolutely right. I was hoping you'd agree with that. Because oh, yeah. there are scenes where they're both doing it almost to each other, and the kid is superior to, yeah. to him. It's, it's so strange. He is so distracting in this movie when he's stuttering. Yeah. Like, he's bad at it. He's bad. I also think the CGI is really bad. Atrocious. All of the effects. That was an issue I had with the first one, too. See, I did, it didn't bother me in the first one as much as it did in this. And the first time that it really rears its ugly head is the dinner scene when the fortune cookies start coming to life. Yeah, well, then, then you realize that there's so many fucking creatures in this movie yes. from there on. And, and the creatures look terrible. That's the thing. The, the thing that I did like about the first one is how scary, genuinely scary, I thought Pennywise actually was. Mm. And in this one, he's toothless. Uh, I don't think he's scary. There is you're not one, worried about him. There is one good scene, I thought, in this whole movie, and that's the under the bleachers scene you're gonna say that. with that girl. It's the, only, Even then, it's the only scene where I felt any real sense of, I of tension and, and unease. I and, didn't, and I'll tell you why. Because the way it's edited, the way the sound is edited specifically. Very predictable. When all sound cuts off, you know there's about to be a big jump. And it's just, like, it's, it's just telegraphed. Uh, man, there's just so many things I don't like about this movie. There, Jessica Chastain is a great actress. Absolutely, she is. I think she is a great actress. She looks lost in this movie. She does. She She she, is there because these guys got a ton more in their budget. She was given an offer she could not refuse, along with probably everyone in the movie. Well, it constantly looks like she's looking just slightly off camera for someone to give her direction because I, she I seems so directionless. Machete is not a good director. I'm sorry, he's not. He's I, not. I, 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 there is very, very little to like about this film. 
There are some directorial moments that are okay with flashbacks, like reverting back and forth a little bit. They're okay, but there's too many of them over and over and over again. And so much of it doesn't make any sense. I don't, and I'm there sorry. There are plot holes all over this thing. Yeah. You know, when, when the kids, when they, sh- they keep showing flashbacks after the kids had already gotten rid of Pennywise, mm-hmm. but then he's showing up and like scaring them. Right. So why is he still scared? I thought they had gotten rid of him and he didn't show yeah, up they for did. another 20 something years. 27. They keep saying it over and over again. Oh, so man, why is there countless years. scenes of flashbacks in this movie that are pa- past the fact that he's still showing up and, and makes tormenting no sense. Them. Yeah. It makes no sense. Very little of it does. Actually. Yeah. The, the, it's, the, the narrative and the writing is, uh, there are lots wrong with this film, but I think that is paramount of them. That oh, is the worst know, thing about one them. of the, one of the things that irritated me the most. And I, ha- I, I have to mention this. Stephen King must have approved of this so much that he oh. decided, he decided oh. how much, obviously he must have loved the first installment that he decided to go ahead and say, I want to have a scene in this movie. Yeah, not just a cameo. No. It's a whole scene. He has it's multiple lines. It's not just a lines. Stan Lee thing. No, he has multiple lines of dialogue. And it's terrible. Yeah. It's a terrible moment in this movie. Yeah. The people in the theater were like, hey, it's, it's Stephen King. Hey, Stephen King. Hey, did you know that's it's, Stephen King? It's so, that's Stephen oh my King. God. He's the guy that wrote it. It's him. Yeah. Wow. He's an antique shop owner in this movie. This is not a spoiler at all. No, it isn't. Who's swindling James McAvoy's character out of his old bike. You know, for an absurd amount of money. Yeah, and he's just not a good. He's not good in this part. It's just like him. This is his way of going. I approve of this re, of this yeah. uh, rendition of my material. It's a stamp of approval. Is yeah. all it is. This is him saying, "Listen, Stanley Kubrick can suck a dick. <laughs> Andy Machete is so is much better. Far superior. He is so much better understanding yeah. my material. Yes." As, when it comes down to it, this movie just feels so much like a cash grab. Well, and Andy and Machete is the type of guy who is perfect for a studio. Hey, this is the movie we want you to make. Go make this movie. Make it look just like the last one. He's not going to bring anything else outside into it. He's going to say, yeah. okay, we'll keep going. We'll keep going down the same road, he's a, but we're going to make twice as much. He's a company time. man. He is. It's just, it really is, like I said at the onset, it's just set piece after set piece, very few of which have anything to do with the one that came before them to prolong this wafer-thin narrative to where at the end, you're just like, what just happened? What even just happened? And it's two hours and 49 minutes. It makes no sense and it's way too long. And you know what? Any kind of sinister, scary qualities Pennywise could have had is totally erased by the fact that you know nothing's going to happen. Exactly. Ever. Exactly. They are going to be, at some point they're going to go, you don't scare us. You are a clown. You are a little clown. You are a small clown boy. And he'll disappear and then their lives will go on. Yep. Everyone knows this. This is it. This is the material. So what did you give it? I'm at a one and a half on this. So am I. It's one and a half. Slightly better than the first for me. Even, and that's really? saying a lot. So I think the first one is far better than this. I um, think Bill Hader alone gives me something to say. At least I enjoy him in this movie. Because like I said, I felt like he was separate. He was he was not looking for direction. He's there. He knows how to take certain lines even and spin it in his own way. And he does that a lot in this movie. And there's some stock in that for me. He does keep you anchored throughout mo- much of the film. Just Not just because of how likable he is, but because he's the genuine comic relief. There's the moments of 
where you know he's improving because the, he's a much better. Honestly, I think he's a better actor than even Jessica Chastain. He's a brilliant actor. Yeah, and, and I mean, comedy is probably the hardest thing you can be great at. Yeah, and he, and he happens to be one of the greatest yes, of the there's century. There's a scene with him in a little dog. In this movie <laughs> where, you know, he has some choice words for the dog. And yeah. it's just a funny, funny moment. Yeah. It's sad that the best parts of this movie are the funny parts for me. Yeah. And Even it, it though really there's not is. many. This is definitely it's not one of, a scary movie. This it's is not. definitely one of the worst films of the year. I, yeah. I think Hobbs and Shaw is better than this. And it'll be one of the t- top grossing movies. It'll be year. top ten. It will. Mm-hmm. It absolutely will. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're ranking the six best threequels of all time. So if you want to find out what that's all about, you have no choice but to stick around. Forces from above deny you the right to be free in your own way. Forces from above love. Ready for round two. Welcome back, my babies. Our pick six this week looks like another fun one. Last week we did remakes, so this week we're tackling sequels, but a very specific brand of sequels, threequels, in fact. Films that are the third installment of a series, franchise, or what have you. So starting, as always, with you, Andy, what's number six on your list of the best threequels? Number six for me. Uh, It's no different than most six sixes on the pick six which is like fringe very fringe like yeah do i even really like this movie because it's a wild card yeah it's it's definitely a wild card and that's once upon a time in mexico oh fun from robert rodriguez yeah one of the last times i've actually liked a robert rodriguez movie by the way which was a long time ago i saw this in the theater so actually. did i yeah yeah i was really i loved him at the time honestly this is the third part of the uh mexico trilogy which started with el mariachi went to Desperado, but then this one came many years later. Yes. El Mariachi and Desperado were back-to-back, like his first movies. This came out several, like eight years after those, and this is when people really wanted to work with him a lot. So there's a lot of people in this Big movie. names in this one. Big yeah. names. Of course, Antonio Banderas, uh, Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp. Johnny yeah. Depp, I know. Salma Hayek is always great in Robert Rodriguez movies. She's in there. There's a bunch of people in this movie, um, countless amount. But it, it is just—it's a lot of fun. It's a lot, a lot of fun. There's just—that's what I like about his Mexico trilogy in general, is that it just is kind of like throw the logic out the window. This is my kind of world. He cuts his own movies. You know, at this time he was doing everything. He shot it. He edited it. Yeah. Directed, produced. He was a very like DIY guy, especially then. And this this one was a whole lot of fun. Um, the look of the movie is great. There's almost like like this tan tint to the whole movie. Yeah, and you could tell they had a pretty decent budget for this too. Yeah, compared to the other two big in the, action in the trilogy. scenes. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, it was really fun. So it's almost like they tore an entire little village down. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Just demolished it. Yeah. There's fun saloons and whatnot in this movie. There's just fun car chases. It's fun. Yeah, it's a fun movie. Yeah, it totally is. And that's where I'm at with my number six on my list, too, is it's 
it's a it's a franchise that you and I both love a lot. Ooh, I know where you're going here, but it's not the best of the franchise. But it's still a ton of fun. And that's Mission Impossible Three. Oh, I did not guess correctly then. Mission Impossible Three, the one that J.J. Abrams directed, the one where Philip Seymour Hoffman is the villain, the great villain. Yeah, um, it has Carrie Russell in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you still have the 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 guys that you that you're that you've been ride or die with. The core. This is when Simon Pegg. Uh, debuts, right? I believe this is Simon Pegg's first film. Yeah. Is yeah. it not? Yeah. This is when he, he debuts as a part of the core. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it isn't, it isn't the best, especially when you, when you pe- stack it up with the, the later, Oof. the later offerings, right. which they up the ante uh, over and over again, but it's still a lot of fun. And it was fun to see at that time what J.J. Abrams could do with a big budget film like this. Yeah, but when you re- rewind, then yes, I will say this is seven. This is number seven on my list. It, so, so just, just barely not. Yeah, just I got gotcha. missed. I got gotcha. missed. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fun. Michelle Monaghan. I think this is her first. This one, This is when too. they introduce her character mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Man, yeah, there are some problems with the movie, but sure. I totally don't blame you for putting this. But it is there. the the big action scenes, like the one on the bridge, and and the, there's some interrogation scenes. Those are mm-hmm. so much fun, and Philip Seymour Hoffman is just so good and menacing as the villain. Yeah, and when, I, I specifically remember when they did get to do like the the mask, the Philip Seymour Hoffman mask sequence. Yes. that's really fun. Yeah, really yeah. fun. Lots yeah. of lots of uh, uh, lots of the things that you come to expect from the Mission Impossible series with the spy gags and fun gadgets and stuff like that. It's just, I think this is when the, the series a hell of really a lot started than, getting great. Yeah. It's a hell of a lot better than two. Two's by far the worst. Yes. Easily. I think it's slightly easily. better than one too. Uh, I'm a big purist on, on the first one. You are. One. When's the last time you watched the first it's one? Brian DePaul, the man. Yeah. Um, it's been a minute. It has been a Rewatch minute. it because I did a few recently. Years. It just doesn't hold up as well. If you say so. What's number five on your list? Number five for me is probably going to be a big shock. Um, I am a big fan of this trilogy, always have been, kind of grew up on this trilogy. I love Leslie Nielsen. Oh. (laughs) I got to say. I thought about this. As far as spoofs go, the Naked Gun trilogy is kind of remarkable that it succeeded that well. Yeah, because all three are good. Never fell flat on his face ever. And there was so many chances it could. And this Naked Gun 33 and a third, the final insult. I still have it on VHS somewhere. I probably do too. It's the weakest of the three, but Sure, but it's said, still really funny. I laugh through the majority of it. And we've been talking, I, at least I've been pitching the idea to you that we should do a spoofs pick six. We, sh- we should. You know, we just, just slapstick spoof because like this. Because the first Naked Gun would almost assuredly make mine. Oh, it'll make the list. Naked it, Gun two and a half is even really good. Exactly. Really good. Yeah, the, the 33 and a third, the final insult <laughs> is, um, is it our last foray with Frank Drebin? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because he went on to do like Spy Hard. Yeah. Which yeah. It wasn't exactly Drebin, but it yeah. kind of was. Yeah, the yeah. Zuckers were just done with it at the time. Yeah. But there's even some fun moments in this where they go to the Oscars and he he gets on stage and he's stumbling around. <laughs> he's in jail undercover for half of this movie. It's really fun. Is OJ still in this one? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, it's been so long since I've seen it. What I love about what Leslie Nielsen does as Drebin and Priscilla Presley does as, as his love interest, they never once break the character. They never once act like they're in a comedy. It's always straight dead serious, no matter what's going on around yeah. them. Something absurd is going on around them at all times. It's dumb as shit. Yeah. But the way they play it so straight, <laughs> I, 
I had such fond memories of this that I had to put this on. I don't blame you at all. In, in fact, I, I love that you added this to your list. Because, <laughs> again, I thought about it. Mm. I just I couldn't quite get there. At least at least we got it on here somewhere. Yeah, I'm so glad that we got to talk about <laughs> yeah. it. Um, number five on my list um, is a fun little trilogy because it's not it's not exactly a real trilogy. It is the third installment of Edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy, mm. and that is The World's End. I think so that counts. Absolutely. Shaun of the Dead is first, um, and that's the red one. Um, uh, Hot Fuzz is the blue one, and this is the green one. Mm-hmm. And um, The World's End is the gang's all back together, but Peg this time, he's still the lead, but he's he's the antagonist as mm-hmm. opposed to the protagonist. Yep. And that's not the role that he's used to playing in, in these films. And uh, he's the asshole. Everyone else is kind of putting up with him. Um, and where the first one dealt with zombies and the second one dealt with action comedies, especially buddy, buddy cop comedies. I think that's most people's favorite too. This is, uh, uh, aliens in this one, alien invasion specifically. A lot of pub crawling. A lot of, it's a pub crawl with aliens. I'm down with that. shit. And it's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. You know, it's probably my least favorite of the Cornetto trilogy, I think so. but I still really like it a lot. Mm-hmm. And part of what makes it so fun is, uh, Peg doing that heel turn and yes. being and being the antagonist. Um, Frost playing a character who's who's sober, but ends up having to go on a pub crawl. And then people that I love like Patty Considine mm-hmm. and Martin Freeman and Eddie Marsan, and then Ro- Rosamund Pike. She's pretty good in it too as the uh, oh, yeah. as the as the female. Um, it's just that's a really good cast. Those one, two, three, four, five, six people. You know, um, it's just a ton of fun. It's a ton of fun in the in the the. Um, the special effects actually pretty much work for the most part. I haven't seen it in a while, but I would love to revisit it. And I'm glad you put this on here in the way that in kind of the similar way, you know, you were liking the, you know, that I put naked gun on here. I didn't even think about this movie when I was making my list. Unfortunately, it might've been close to making mine as well. Well, what's number four on your list? Number four for me is, um, one of the, most fun action experiences I've had in the theater. Um, this I think is the best film in this franchise and that's the born ultimatum. Oh yeah. The born ultimatum is like the, that moment where Matt Damon really melded into this character so perfectly. And Paul Greengrass's direction in this film is like this, this film is like one Long, ongoing chase. I've never really seen anything quite like it. I mean, tons of action movies have a chase sequence here, a chase sequence there. This movie is like one continuous chase sequence. Yeah, it really is. And the pacing of it and the editing of it is pretty remarkable, actually. I think this is the height of Damon Asborn after that. I don't know. You know, when they brought it back a few years later, it bombed badly. Yeah. Um, I think... You know, they took a little time off of the character and then Renner played the yeah, character. Yeah, Renner played him for a film and then... That was weird yeah. and that was directed by Tony Gilroy and I was like yeah. excited. Sure, because of Tony time. Gilroy. Yeah. But it was bad. And then I guess Greengrass and Damon defi- finally were like, okay, let's try it again. Yeah. No. But the ultimatum was at the height of their collaboration. This movie, man, is just thrilling. 
the entire way. Yeah, it's tons of fun. Tons, tons and it's of it's fun. slickly paced. It's really it it's really well paced, and it, and it utilizes Greengrass's kind of um, handheld style really well, whereas some of his other movies don't. It does it really well, especially in the hand-to-hand combat scenes, because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of this kind of action film, the big complaint is you can't really tell what's going on in the action sequences. Right. Not when Greengrass shoots them. Yeah, and I think the same can be said for Christopher McQuarrie in, in the Mission recent Impossible Mission, series. Mission Impossible movie. Yeah, same all thing. The, all the action sequences are totally... They're just fluid. Yeah, and they're lit properly, so you, you can actually see yeah. what's happening. Right. Yeah, this, this movie, man, I... I just I think it's the best born movie there is. You're probably so right. I have to it have probably it on is. here. I have to have it on here. Um, I went action for my number four as well, um, and that is John McTiernan's Die Hard with a Vengeance. Number three for me. So let's talk about it. Awesome. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> I had a feeling Die Hard was going to show up on both of our lists. Uh, this one I knew for for sure would be on both of our lists. This is the only Die Hard movie that is '90s exclusive. Mid nineties, because it's 1995. First two were in the eighties, and then the most recent abominations are in. They're all know. in the two thousands. Yeah, this is the last good Die Hard movie. This is the last great. Die Hard. I think it is. Well, great. it's pro- probably also the last good one too. It's the last <laughs> rewatchable yeah. as well. Yeah, this one is really good. It's also too. the last hard R Die Hard movie. Yeah, which you have to have an R rated Die Hard for movie. Die Hard. Yes, Come on. you have to. John when, McClane. When man. the when the character's most famous line has the word motherfucker in it, then right? Yes, you got it. <laughs> yes. The film has to be rated R. Yes. Um, and this time we get Samuel L. Jackson thrown into the mix shortly after Pulp Fiction, where both of them yeah. were exploding in exactly and then the the villain this time is jeremy irons great villain which he's an excellent villain simon says simon says (laughs) yes and it's just so it's the fun dynamic with willis and jackson and the racial element that's that's Mm -hmm. automatically in the film versus this cat and mouse thing that jeremy irons character is doing puzzles going on here lots of stakes though yeah each each puzzle has stakes Mm mm-hmm and I think that's that's what helps the pacing of it, but it's actually really well directed. Oh and man, McTiernan, really well written, and man, it, Jackson and Willis together are Great. so good. Great. They're really good together. I mean, let's be honest, Willis is never better as when he's John McClane, especially in the first three films. Yeah, it's probably uh, my favorite. Uh, and and in this movie, uh, action man, character. Yeah, Mc- him and Ethan Hunt are my two favorite. I'm action a big. Characters. I'm a big. Martin Riggs fan. That's true. You yeah, are. Yeah. You are. You are. And I was wondering if that would come up. It, it's not going to spoil. I didn't alert. think so. But the, the third least, one's not my, great. Probably my least favorite of the, the whole yeah. Lethal Weapon franchise. Yeah. But McTiernan took one film off. He did not direct Die Hard Two, which is why Two is one of the is the weakest of the first three. I really like it, but yes, it, it is really good. Yeah, but yeah, but he's back here for this, and he the look of this movie still looks good today. It really does. The, the sequences driving through New York City are that very look first, amazing. That first scene where uh, hot town, somewhere in the city. Oh, I still remember it. Getting dirty. Just the All way the shots that, of the city. Yes. It's, oh, man. It's so well done. Yes. The music is really well played in. Mm-hmm. I love this movie. I do, too. I do, too. Awesome. I'm glad yeah. that it's your number three. Yeah. So we're back to you. For so three. we're automatically back yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. I watched this movie today because I knew that I needed to watch this film. Wow. In order to make my list. And this is Christoph Kieslowski's Three Colors trilogy. And this is red. Holy shit. Yes. 
Wow. I hadn't seen it until today, but I knew that if I was going to do this, I had to do, I had to, I had to watch this film. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, uh, blue is the first, the opener of this trilogy. It's one and of it, your favorite It's films. one of my favorite films. I think it's tremendous as well. And another one of my favorite films is The Double Life of Veronique. Yeah. Which is also directed by Keslowski mm-hmm. and also stars Irene Jacobs, yep. who is the star of this film, Red. Her name's not Red. The film's called Red. And um, sh- she is almost every bit as good in this Whoa. as she is in The Double Life. And That's saying a lot for you. That is that is an all-timer performance. Mm-hmm. She's really great in this. She's terrific, yeah. So she plays a model who um, is leaving a film shoot and uh, runs over a dog and f- finds out whose dog it is, takes it to the vet and gets it cared for, meets the guy. He's a retired judge who is listening to other people's phone conversations on headphones. And is spying on other people, and it's illegal, and she's quite offended by it. But somehow they they end up developing this strange friendship, some sort of weird bond, um, and that's kind of where the film takes off from there. But not a whole lot happens in this film other than that. As with much Kozlowski, it's about the conversations that occur mm-hmm. throughout it. But also, as with much Keslowski, it looks beautiful, dynamite. Mm-hmm. It's a really gorgeous-looking film that lingers enough in scenes to let its actors really live in it. And so then you also get tremendous performances. And then, you know, he's terrific at using music at the, yeah. all the right times. It's, it's just a really gorgeous movie. Did gorgeous you get movie. to utilize the Criterion channel for this? That is how Good. I watched it. I Good. watched it on the Criterion channel. I haven't part. seen it in years so i can't i couldn't rightfully put it on my list because i don't remember a lot of it well and i skipped white i've actually not seen white yet it's the julie delpy one that's the julie delpy one Mm -hmm. so i've only seen Mm -hmm. one and three funny way to watch a trilogy too well what's funny is that the and this isn't a huge spoiler but at the end of red there's a slight Mm tie-in to where we see some of the characters from one and two Mm. Um, that's something I forgot. Yeah. And so I was like, Oh man, maybe I really should have tried to fit in white before this as well. Okay. But, um, this one actually has the best reviews of all three on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic. It's a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Whereas blue is 98%. Hmm. Interesting. And and it has some crazy Metacritic score as well. But the real star here is Irene Jacobs. Um, however, I I do have to say not only is, uh, Irene Jacobs, a, a big standout in here, but I, there's the older fella, the retired judge who's mm-hmm. doing the, the, the snooping is Jean-Louis Trintigant, mm-hmm. who is the husband in Amour. Oh, wow. Okay. And this film's from 1994. So, you know, wow. talking 20 plus yeah, years yeah, later. Yeah. God, I always forget about Amour for some yeah. reason. Yeah. If we ever did a Haneke list, that would be very interesting. Yeah, we should do a Haneke yeah. list sometime soon. But mm-hmm. So yeah, my number three is, is red because okay. this thing is drop-dead gorgeous. All right. So number two for you. Number two. Number two for me is it's um, technically a threequel. Uh, we, we've talked about this before, uh, about some of the rules of this. And this does count because this is the third time Daniel Craig played. James Bond. Yep. And I think every new Bond actor gets a new start. I think. Yeah, I texted you over the weekend and I said, does, does Goldfinger 
Is that the only James Bond that counts? No way. Or should it be when we when we reboot the series? I think, get it, a new, I think it should be. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so you had Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, and then Skyfall. Yeah. And when Sam Mendes took over doing this particular version of James Bond, I think Skyfall is a phenomenal film. Yeah. I'm not even a big, big James Bond guy, but... For some reason, Skyfall just works. Yeah, Skyfall is excellent. It looks beautiful. I wanted to put this on my list, but I wanted to rewatch it first mm-hmm. since I've only seen it the one time. See, I've I when it first came out, I saw it three or four times, like in the first few months, because yeah. I loved it so much. I'm just a big Sam Mendes fan, huge Sam Mendes, understandably. And his direction is beautiful. In this, for, for this kind of franchise specifically. Oh, sure. He has his own imprint on it. And um, I think after the kind of a little bit of a um, off, it got off the, the tracks a little bit with Quantum of Solace and he reined it back in. I thought Casino Royale was really good. Yeah, so did I. I actually well, like Quantum of Solace it, too. I thought, it, I thought it was uneven. But this is like the height of the Daniel Craig bond. Absolutely. And, and again, though, the villain. Javier, Javier Bardem, Bardem as the villain in this film makes it all work. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, you, you might be surprised that I haven't still have yet to see uh, Spectre. Spectre. Spectre's not very good. I've heard it's not very good. Yeah, it's pretty disappointing. Even with hearing that Christoph Waltz was the villain. Uh, Waltz is the best part of it, but they don't use him well. That's disappointing because it was Mendes again, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's disappointing. But Skyfall, everything worked. Yeah, this it was... It's. It's probably the best James Bond film. Maybe. I don't know. I'd have to rewatch a bunch. Yeah. I don't really... I just don't have big a big interest in Bond. I understand. I understand. And I'm sure that all those earlier Bond movies has so many problems as far as just the way women are depicted and, oh, and absolutely. all sorts of things like that. So, yeah, you might be right. Skyfall might be the best of the entire thing, but it's certainly the best of... Uh, the Daniel Craig, the Cran- Daniel Craig, the best era. of the two thousands. Yes, yeah, yes. Um, number two for me is a film we talked about in a pick six briefly mm. uh, a few months ago, and that's Toy Story three. I knew this was going to be on your list. Um, I knew it. I bet you could have guessed that it would be number two. Also, uh, yeah. I love Toy Story three. This movie is fantastic. Well, yeah, it's your favorite Toy Story movie. It is my favorite of the Toy Story films. Yeah, and um, so we don't because we talked about it on a pick six when we did our Pixar rankings or whatever. Yeah, um, we don't need to really get into it, but um, still, it really holds up in the writing. The the at the time the the animation was the best I'd seen mm-hmm. at, at that point. I mean, this came out in 2010. Yeah. So yeah, I think you're not alone. I th- I've heard a lot of people saying this is their favorite Toy Story movie. It's it's got the most stakes. Uh, yes, I agree with that, and I think that's what g- makes you invested in it a little bit more than you do some of the other ones. Sure, sure. So Toy Story three, number two for me. Okay. I'm keep it nice and brief because we really have to dig into number one. Uh, are you assuming we have the same number one? I am assuming we have the same number one. Uh, my number one is one of the great films of this century. Yes. It's absolutely a perfect movie, in my opinion. Yes. It is the culmination of what is so far a trilogy. So far. In two years, Who we might find out that it's not. But 
so far before midnight by Richard Linklater is the best film of this trilogy. Absolutely. And it is a unbelievable achievement. I believe it really, really is. It is your number one. Yes, it is. It's my number one as well. I knew we would end up having the same number one this time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that it's got a really good chance to be on both of our lists when we do the top 10 films of the decade coming later months, later in a couple months. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it does. And, man, when you're looking at this director's body of work, which is the most diverse of maybe anyone since he started, as far as diversity. Yeah, I was going to say, especially when you use the word diverse specifically. He is very focused on doing different things all the time. Well, yeah, the same guy that made this movie that we're talking about right now, Before Midnight, also made the remake of The Bad News Bears with Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. He made School of Rock. He made Fast Food Nation. Exactly. (laughs) He made Dazed and Confused. So, uh, I mean, it's... He's he's extremely diverse. He's also obsessed with time. And this trilogy shows that as well in a way that Boyhood also showed it. Yeah. Um, He's a fan of (laughs) ongoing, long projects as well. This also counts. They did the first one in 95, the second in 04, and the, this one in 2013. Nine years apart every single time. And there's stirrings now that he's going to possibly bring Ethan Hawke and Julie Delby back in 2022 for another one. You we'll would, see. You would not hear me complain. No, but there's also that anxiousness. Can they still be this great? And when this one was coming out, I was like... I'm excited, but can they still be this great? Because the way before Sunset ended, it's one of my favorite endings of all time. And I thought that was a perfect closing of the characters. Come to find out, they had a lot more to say. They had did. And it wasn't just for for money's sake or whatever. No, of course not. There was they real... filmed this in secret. No one knew it was coming out. And yeah. I remember leading up to it, it was announced just like a month before. It was like, oh yeah, we did this in secret in Greece. And... Man, I don't think either one of them have has ever been better in a movie. Absolutely not. Unbelievable performances. Yeah. The scene in the hotel towards the end of the movie is one of the greatest scenes of this century, hands down. Because you're witnessing a moment where these characters, well, not these characters, but these actors specifically, are so ingrained in the characters at this point. And it, it's heartbreaking to watch, you know, because... You love Jesse and Celine so much. If you like this franchise, it's a franchise now. It is. Um, you are so in love with both of them, and you want it to work out. And when there are, are fractures in it, you, it's just hard to watch. Like you almost, like you almost take it personally yourself. Yes. You know, in that scene in the hotel, you start to. Yeah. You do. There's part of you that's like Jesse, stop being such a shithead, mm-hmm. and Celine, I, you're you're wonderful, but you know, like that's you're you're almost pacing behind the back of your couch you are as you watch those scenes and you're just like guys get it together yeah you're like can't you just go to america for him but then there's also the other idea of dude what are you doing uh, you feel at this point because it's been 20 years of films that Mm -hmm. that you have a a serious emotional investment on the future of this couple and their relationship and i i think that linklater delpy and hawk really see that they've Gained this weird cult following enough? Do I think they are going to commit to do keep doing this? I really do, and I hope they do. I hope they do too. I don't even worry about it now. After how good this I one turned out, I wouldn't worry about it. 
After how good I, I, this one turned out, I was and how good just before this one, and how good Toy Story Four was, yeah, then, right. then I'm fine. Yes, I'm fine yes, with both right. of these. You're right. These just keep going on. Go on as long as you want to. <laughs> I mean, Big Mama's House has three movies. Exactly, and they're all five fine. stars, five bangers. Yes, that's a different list altogether. Um, real quick, while we're still on topic, mm-hmm. um, so I know you saw that that Link Ladder is doing like a musical that's going to be mm, shot over 20, 20 years. years with Beanie Feldstein, yes, I believe. Yes, I'm really excited uh, about you that. You are okay. I just I wasn't sure yeah. what what your take on that. Real was. excited for that. Give me, give me all the Link Ladder and all the Beanie. So. By then, Beanie's going to be a huge star, guaranteed. I, she ought to be. She's going to continuously get more and more roles, I think. Awesome. Well, I'm super glad that we ended up having the same number one. I was we, hoping which, we would. Uh, I thought, I thought, I thought not, we would. Not really surprising. Uh, I figured we would. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take one last break, but stay close because the throwback challenge is 60 seconds away, and it's sure to be a weird one. You Okay, well, we've come to my favorite part of the show, the throwback challenge. Andy, read us our throwback challenge for this week. Okay, our throwback challenge uh, is from Brandon Brown, as I had stated in the last episode. He writes, hey, Noah and Andy, I have a bit of a twist to the throwback challenge for you both. Lately, 80s high concept films have been on my mind, so I want to challenge you both to choose from a list of four. One is The Last Dragon, a martial arts film from Motown that blends R&B and pop sensibilities. Flashdance, described as the female Rocky, highlighting aerobic fashion and feminist ideals. Crush Groove, aiming to amplify the influence of hip-hop through live-action concert footage and dance. And finally, Purple Rain, a concert film masked in a drama, exalted by Prince's innovation and growing influence within the decade. Love the show. Hope you both have fun choosing. Do me a favor and say, I love when you say the words crush groove. Crush groove. I love it. I love crush groove. Crush with a K, by the way. (laughs) Even better. (laughs) Even better. All right. Well, let's start with you. And you dug into Flashdance. I did. I was excited to do it because I had never seen it. 1983-ish area is one I'm very interested in. I almost watched it, too, because I've never seen it. It is um, a movie surprisingly produced by Don Sim- Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, the guys who were really? very known for producing for Con Bad Air, Boys and shit. Yeah. Con Air, The Rock, Bad Boys. Yes. <sighs> very male-heavy, testosterone-heavy. Is there action in this film? There's not. There's I thought not it was a lot of dancing, isn't it? A lot of dance in this movie. Yeah. It's directed by Adrian Lyne, who is oh. actually someone who I admire. I liked Fatal Attraction. Sure. I liked Jacob's Ladder. Um, I even liked uh, Unfaithful, the one he did with Diane Lane and Richard Gere. I hear that's really good. It's good, yeah. I actually like him as a filmmaker somewhat, but this is before all those movies. Sure. Um, this movie set in Pittsburgh, 
And it's funny when Brandon mentioned that it's the female Rocky, a lot of people describe it that way. Another Philadelphia based movie. Yeah. Um, or uh, Pennsylvania, sorry, a Pennsylvania based yeah. movie. But it, it, in a way, it kind of is. Um, but, oh man, how do, you, how do you even start with this movie? God. <laughs> Give me the premise because I don't even actually okay, know. Okay, Jennifer the Beals. Her debut. I knew Jenny Beals was in it. Jennifer Beals was a model at the time, was never an actress, but she was like in vogue and she had worked really hard. To She, she went to Yale and she got this role based on her hard work as a model and in getting into this industry through different channels. She got this role of a steel worker in, in Pittsburgh. She's a steel worker by day. And a exotic dancer by night. Oh, so hard hat by day, and then mm, and then yes. edible underwear at night. Well, um, it's odd because this this bar that she dances at, which is unlike any bar I've ever seen anywhere in the history of the world, <laughs> is a blue collar bar where dudes go to crack open Miller Lights and check out some chicks. Rolling Rock, because that's Pennsylvania. Beer. Yeah, or Yingling. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah one of the two. Those guys are in there just to have a good old time after the hard day's work. Watch the Steelers game. And yes, there's still Steelers are mentioned in this movie. It's I w- shocking. That's not a big shock. Yeah. Robert Wool is one of the regulars at the bar. Oh, I love Robert Wool. Always attached to sports somehow. His only line in this movie is, "Yeah, Steelers." Oh, thank God for Arliss. I mean, the dude and sports just go hand in hand. But that's his only line in the movie. And um <laughs> <laughs> So so there's all these regulars at this bar, these blue-collar boys. But the but they're not strippers. These 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 dancers are never clothesless. They are actually dancing as an art form. You know, it's it's like almost like their own set pieces. It's their way of expressing their art form. They're they're almost poor people who never had the chance to go to like, you know, like Juilliard schools yeah. for the the art form. Yeah. So they kind of just, they work to make a little bit of money and then they dance at night for a little bit of money. And this is their only way to express what they like and what they hope they wished would be their way of making a living. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Adrian Lyon actually directs these dance sequences with a lot of energy. Um, it's, pre- it's pretty fun the way he uh, and his editor work together. Uh, I mean, even though there's there's not a lot of sense to make of this bar and, like, why it would exist like this, no guy ever once says, take off your clothes, like these guys, these kind of yeah. guys would. They definitely would. It never happens. Whatever. This movie lives in a fantasy land a little bit. Yeah, I've been to bars in Pittsburgh, and they're not like that. <laughs> right, so have <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, the, the main crux of the story is Jennifer Bills' character, uh, has studied dancing through books and through one of uh, an old friend who's quite actually old, an elderly woman who has always lived nearby her and has kind of like pushed her to, to, to continue to dance and kind of learn it like you would at a Juilliard or something like that, you know? Sure. Style kind of place. Uh, she's, she, she takes an interest in going to an academy and she visits one and they're all very rich and successful and prudy and she was immediately doesn't have the kind of gall to even apply because she's not that kind of person she's a steel worker <laughs> yeah she is a steel worker after all she, she stays so clean and beautiful looking through all the steel working in this movie too i got to say 
Jennifer Bills is a beautiful woman, and she looks like a model this whole movie, even when she's got the the mask on and the hard hat and just yeah. stealing away. <laughs> just stealing. <laughs> she's, uh, she's she's welding a lot in this movie. Yeah, I'm um, sure there's sparks flying. There's everywhere. a lot of sparks with a lot of... You know, it's funny is that this movie's soundtrack is more popular than the movie. Yeah. It's funny, and um, this movie's littered with all the hits of the time. Gloria and What a Feeling and things like that. Um Apart from the dancing and the good Jennifer Beals performance, even though she has a lot to work around, is a terrible, terribly constructed blueprint of a, this is a Hollywood romance movie, and it's a cookie cutter kind of thing. Really bad subplots with other characters who don't get a lot to do. But at the same time, I didn't dislike the movie. It's fine. There's a lot of problems, especially within the romance with Beals and her boss, basically, who she becomes involved with oh. at the steel mill. Oh. <laughs> he's he's not well drawn. Um, and th- their, their whole arc doesn't get really much attention, and it's a distraction. But it's fine. It's a fine movie. I'm glad I watched it. And actually, I loved the music. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I, for some reason, I just am drawn to it. Um, and Beals is so good, uh, even though she's constantly trapped by the standard cookie-cutter stuff about it, she's still a lot of fun in the movie. What and even, you, though you, even though you know where it's going the whole time, too, like a Rocky running up the stairs and bullshit yeah. like that, I still give it a three. A three? No, that's <laughs> I'm, solid. I'm fine with it. That's solid. fine with it. Um. Well, I had the joy of taking in The Last Dragon, um, also known as Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Barry Gordy's. Barry Gordy, the founder of Motown Records. Okay. Okay. So what this movie attempts to do is is really blend the music aspect very heavily into the film. So that it's almost like a music action kung fu it's kind of black exploitation, but not really. It just it seems kind of like black exploitation. So the character's name is Leroy, um, but he's into kung fu, so he goes by Bruce Leroy. <laughs> is what a lot of people call him, and he has to save this hot. Like she's not a musician. She's like she's real hot in like the music video scene. She has her own show that like promotes music videos. And there's an evil music producer who wants to kidnap her so that he can get his girlfriend's music on the air. And then there's also this other guy who's big and macho and is like the, the, the kung fu master in town. And so Bruce Leroy here has to, has to find a way to, to beat him. All while saving this chick. If this all sounds really convoluted, it's because it is. <laughs> is um, that a problem? Oh, it's a giant problem. <laughs> so I, I can't say that I hate this movie because it is fun at times. Um, but I cannot say that it is a good movie because it is not. Okay. <laughs> um, this, is, this is an actively bad movie. <laughs> um, William H. Macy shows up Whoa. in one scene. Um, Random. He's like a producer on, on her show and he's trying that's to get early. her to hurry up and get on stage. And that's it. Yeah, it's this is 1985. So, and Danny Starr, Mike Mike Starr, mm-hmm, yeah, um, from Dumb and Dumber. Yep, he's in this. 
and then everybody random. else are people that I've never, I don't recognize at all. Yeah. So it, this movie's all over the place. Sounds like it. Um, it was fun seeing the TriStar Pictures logo come up, though. That was a lot of fun. With the horse? I hadn't seen that in a while. The Pegasus comes yeah. jumping off. Yeah. I remember watching that all the time when I used to watch Muppets Take Manhattan. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the, the Pegasus jumps over the, mm-hmm. the logo and mm-hmm. then starts to spread its wings. Yeah. 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 See, you're there. Yeah. Um, but so you find joy in every opportunity that you can with Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, because this is not a good movie. These um, were fun, though. But it was a lot of fun to watch, you know, on a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing else going on. I'm sick on the couch. It's <laughs> obvious to everyone at this point that I'm really sick. <laughs> I should not be in the same room as you. Um, <laughs> it's fine. But yeah, I was just sick laying, laying on the couch watching this. And for that... It was a perfectly fine experience. I don't know how much I could recommend the film to anyone, but uh, it, it it does it does take some big swings with its so, sounds like it. long music scenes um, that have no action, and then kung fu scenes that are whew, the choreography is pretty <laughs> leave something to be desired. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> rough. Pretty rough. Yeah. Man, these are fun ones to cross off the list, though. This was a really fun one to cross off the list. So um, one of the producers on the film said that uh, the, his whole premise in producing the film was that there really should be a young black kid superhero type figure who kids can look up to, end quote. 1985? Yeah, that's yeah. killer. Yeah, this was before Blade and Black Panther, you know? And it's just this black kid in the, in the city who's crazy good at kung fu and learned from a old chinese man so there's montages <laughs> there's montages of him working out there's montages of him using chopsticks there's a lot of comedy in the film as well you know what that's Sometimes, a good theme between our two movies some, montages yeah there's lots of montages Same. in both of these the 80s they used tons they of montages. fell in love with montages so um, Even rocky had plenty i had, rocky I had a, one best picture <laughs> i had a good enough of a time with Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. So, what do you give it? I'm gonna give it two and a half stars. Okay, it is fine. All right, all right. Well, that means we actually didn't receive uh, throwback challenges from listeners this week, so we finally get to go back to giving each other a throwback challenge, and I'm very excited. So I'm going to go ahead and start. I'm going to, because it's football season, oh. college football season specifically. Oof. I am giving you Barry Levinson's Paterno, in which oh, okay. in which Al Pacino plays Joe Paterno. Gotcha. It's an HBO film. Came out a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is a fantastic Al Pacino performance. Okay, he's having this really really wonderful late career resurgence. Yeah, where he's he's getting to play a lot of different characters, um, and he's really tackling some really interesting films. Well, and I think this is one of them. This is a, a really interesting film. I think Levin, Levinson directs it really well, and the Pacino performance is pretty mesmerizing. So fair enough. I'm I excited love for both you those to, guys to 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 kick off college football season by, yeah. by checking out HBO. You know how much I love football. Paterno. <laughs> what do you have for me? This one for you is if correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I gave this to you once, but it's from our lost episode. 
remember this. We had an episode that we lost a few That's weeks true. back. That's true. The Lion King episode. The Lion King episode, and I gave you this throwback, and I have to give it to you now. What was it? Because I really want you to see this movie. And that's, it's funny because we just talked about this director in the pick six, and that's Revolutionary Road. Oh, that's from right. Sam Mendes. All right. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited. This has long been one of my fav- favorites of this, of the last, honestly, really might still stick along with the Howard Hughes performance by Leo yeah. as my favorite performance from Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, I've always wanted to see this film, just never got around to it. My girlfriend uh, says that it's very good, but she has no intention of ever watching it again. It's it's a hard one to rewatch. Yes. So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to carve out a, a good three hours by myself with. Uh, it's, it's not too long. Yeah, but it's also one of Winslet's best. Yeah, um, and I think it's Sam Mendes' best film as well. And it's one of the first times we got to really see what Michael Shannon could do, too, right? Uh, really, yes. Yeah. I mean... When he's be- fully capable. Before of. that, he was kind of minor in a lot of stuff, other than shotgun stories. Yeah. But we didn't really know about that yet. We Not had to really. dig back for shotgun stories yeah. after. We had to really become cinephiles first. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, I'm excited for you to finally see it, and I'm going to rewatch it as well. Well, now I feel embarrassed about giving you Paterno Why? when you gave me something like Revolutionary Road. Aren't they both great but one's definitely going to be greater than the other but uh, i think you'll still really like pacino's performance it's really true all, right, all right i mean how familiar are you with you with the um the story the, of paterno the whole thing just takes place during the cherry oh, sandusky ger- during the most recent stuff the jerry sandusky stuff yeah i mean i'm, I'm familiar enough okay yes yes yeah. so you're familiar with his mannerisms and what he's yes yeah okay then then you'll appreciate it because he, he's spot on i mean he's as much as you want to make fun of him sometimes, he's also Pacino? one of the greatest actors of all time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's good that you didn't give me Dog Day Afternoon like I've been begging you I to give me. I almost did, actually. It was because on my I, short list. That would have been really fun. It was on my three that I had <laughs> for you. We'll get there down yeah, the road. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our show for today. Remember to subscribe to the Film Harmonic and Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review and a generous rating if you're feeling so inclined. Subscribe also on Spotify, Buzzsprout, Amazon Alexa, and Google Play. Send us your suggestions for the throwback challenge to thefilmharmonic at gmail.com. Join us on the next episode when we will review the season's first awards bait contender, The Goldfinch. In addition to ranking the six best directorial debuts of the 21st century, first-time filmmakers of the last 19 years. So add all of that to our just-mentioned throwback challenges, and it looks like we got a full show on our hands. Andy, uh, will we will we see you next time? Uh, we will see. We will see you. Yes. All right. We'll, we'll see. S- hopefully, all of you. Yeah. Good. Well, then it sounds like we'll see you next time on the Film Harmonic.
I wonder how many people are going to give a shit for not having uh, any of the Star Wars movies or the Lord of the Rings movies. I, I was thinking that myself. Yes. Oh, but what about the Dark Knight Rises? It's just not very good. No, oh, Catwoman's in it, though. The Dark Knight is incredible. No, but, but Bane's in Dark, Dark Knight, Knight Rises, Rises, though. The Dark Knight Rises is not very good. I'm sorry. Yeah, but Bane's in it, though. Yes, he is. 